Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Small decisions that we make every day add up into bigger results. In this message, Pastor Andy will teach us how to live a spirit-filled life. Enjoy the message. We're going to talk about how to be filled with the Spirit. We're not talking about habits that are going to be the best version of you. We're talking about how can you live in step with what God wants for your life. And so last week we talked about giving up control. If you missed that, go back and listen to that. Uh, next week we're going to talk about overcoming temptation. Then the following week, keeping it consistent. And then finally, talking about not giving up. Now, before I was the lead pastor at Kenosha City Church, I was a youth pastor. Uh, and there's plenty of great memories and there's some hard memories. And I would say one of the hardest memories uh, was at one particular Sunday night. Uh, we were getting ready to do some additional games and then dismiss. But as we were getting ready to dismiss for the night, I felt an overwhelming, just something, a weight on my heart. Something overwhelming and something undeniable. I didn't know what it was. So I, before we dismissed, I said, hey, I know some of you are getting picked up right now. I know some of you are getting ready to hang out after youth group. But I think we just need to pause and we need to pray. Maybe for about a half an hour, but let's pray. I don't know what it is, but let's pray about it. Maybe it's over our city. Maybe it's over our, our youth group. Maybe it's over your schools. I don't know what it is, but let's pray. And surprisingly, the whole youth group stayed and we prayed for a half an hour. Uh, and we would just said, God, we don't know what it is. And we just bared our heart. We prayed for our friends. We prayed for our city. What we didn't know that while we were praying, a restaurant in town was being robbed. And the people that were being held uh, hostage, uh, one person ended up dying. Uh, and this, we later find out uh, that this person that died, he was uh, one of our students. He was working that night. Uh, he was robbed for like, I think, $12. It was uh, horrific. Uh, but what we realized is this. If we didn't stop and pray, that was a hangout spot for a lot of people in our youth group. They would have been there right when that robbery would have taken place because they knew some of the employees. They let them stay a little bit longer. It would have been horrific. And so what I realized now, when I realized in that moment, that that weird feeling wasn't just the youth group pizza that I'd eaten the, the, just a couple hours before. Uh, it wasn't me going crazy. Uh, it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was laying something on my heart that I didn't know in my mind what it was all about. I didn't have to know what it was about. All I knew is that we needed to go to God and say, God, what is this? And we began to pray. That stirring, the Holy Spirit guiding us in that moment to pray and it was literally a moment of life and death. It's the most significant prayer, minus maybe the prayer of the people's salvation, uh, that occurred in my life. But it's not just the big moments that we're to be sensitive to the movements of the Holy Spirit. It's not just the, the, these core memories, is what people call them now, that, that, we're, that we're to be praying and, and say, okay, God, I want you to move here. We need to be filled with insensitive to the things of God. Not just in the big things, but in the small things and everything in between. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his movement and what he's doing in each and every moment of our life. How do we do that? And that's what we're going to talk about today. How to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How to understand his leading and his empowerment. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15. You can turn there in your Bibles or your app. This is going to be one of our... Uh, core uh, passages this morning, Ephesians 5.15. Be careful then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now notice immediately what Paul is saying to the Ephesians church, what he's saying to us today, is that our days are numbered. We don't know how long we're on this earth. Just because we're young doesn't mean our days aren't going to be short. And just because we're older doesn't mean that we don't have decades left to live. We don't know how long we're on this planet. Jesus could come back at any moment or we could depart. We know on our tombstone we have the birth date. And there will be on the tombstone a death date. And only God knows how long that hyphen is. 
And so our days are numbered. And so we're told here to make the most of our days. To make the most of our days because the days are evil. It's not that, oh no, I'm going to wake up and today's evil. That's not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is we live in a fallen, broken world of which we don't have to be reminded of the evils because it's ever present in front of us every day. And so we, as followers of Christ, are to make the most of the day and the fullness of the Holy Spirit to show that there is redemption in a broken world. Amen? But we see here, we're to make the most of our time, so we're to be filled. He says, don't be filled with alcohol and and be drunk, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with something, right? We're full of it, right? We're, we're, We're to be filled with something. But what are we full of? Is it ourself? Is it rage? Some of you are laughing right now, like, <laughs> right? What am I full of right now, right? Is it addictions? Is it lust? Is it your talents? Is it your activities in life? What are you filled with? And Paul is saying, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your growth in the Lord God Almighty, your sanctification, is the fullness of the Holy Spirit is required if you're to be growing in the Lord. Now, depending on what church tradition you grew up in, uh, the Holy Spirit will evoke different emotions and different thoughts. If you grew up in an uber-Pentecostal background, uh, instead of the Trinity being God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it might just be the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, right? Every message is on the Holy Spirit. Every altar call is receiving and getting the gifts of the Spirit. And sometimes they're like, who's God the Father, right? If you admit, if you're from an uber-Pentecostal background, that might be your experience. On the other side, you might come from what I call a cessationist ex- experience where you believe the miraculous things of the Lord cease somewhere uh, hundreds if not thousands of years ago. Uh, and, and so you don't really think of the miraculous. And so your trinity isn't God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Your trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Scriptures, right? And when you, someone says the Holy Spirit, you're like, the Holy who, right? So we have people that are on different ends of the spectrum. And what I want to say to you this morning, it's not about being on the ends of the spectrum. It's what does the Bible say? What's the Bible say who the Holy Spirit is? And that's what we need to do. Not what our traditions necessarily said it's all about or or what we're used to or the verbiage we might be used to. What does the Bible say the Holy Spirit is? And what does the Bible say what we're to do with the Holy Spirit? Now, my story with the Holy Spirit, it's interesting. I came from a more cessationist background. That is a background where uh, the miraculous things of the Holy Spirit ceased. And I, my background, I love it. Like, it, I am so thankful for the foundation uh, of, of what was taught, uh, the foundation of the scriptures. Uh, it, I, I have nothing ill to say about that. But uh, there was a reaction uh, in some of my upbringing to the Holy Spirit because of Christian TV, because of some of the uh, televangelists and how they would use the Holy Spirit for gain or how they use the Holy Spirit in unbiblical ways. And so there was a reaction away from the Holy Spirit. And that's how I grew up. In fact, uh, when I went to Trinity, I came in as what I would say is a cessationist. Until my professors at Trinity, just down the road, they're like, well, that's not true. God still works miraculously. I'm like, well, that's wrong. That's not what I was brought up in. And then I realized some of my favorite authors, John Piper and Wayne Grudem, they believed the Holy Spirit was still active today. I'm like, oh, what is going on here? And so I doubled down. And my roommate, uh, my roommate Ben, uh, he was also a cessationist. He doubled down. And then we had a crazy charismatic knock on our door and said, hey, I hear you guys don't believe the Holy Spirit's active anymore. I'm like, well, I mean, uh, it's like, I want to debate you. I'm like, all right, we'll debate you, right? And so we started debating who we called the crazy charismatic. And he began to talk to us and all through the wee hours of the night. And I thought, okay, Ben, I'm getting tired. You're smart. I'm going to go to bed. You just kind of finish off this debate, all right? I go to bed. And I wake up the next morning and I realize Ben lost the debate. What do you mean you lost the debate, Ben? It's like, well, man, he showed me scripture and I realized where I was overreacting. And I was like, I can't believe it. I was so mad, right? And so I became a student of the scriptures even more. I doubled down. I was in Greek class. And something happened when I was translating one of my Greek assignments. I realized, oh, no, I might be wrong. I may be overreacting to 
other people's abuses to the Holy Spirit. And you know, here at Kenosha City Church, we have people from all variety, uh, diverse backgrounds when it comes to the issue of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know, I think we can learn from each other. I really do. But our pursuit, no matter what our tradition or no matter what our upbringing is, no matter what the subject is, must be the Bible. We must say, okay, Lord, Lord God, what are you saying to us? The Bible informs our practice. The Bible informs our theology. It's why it's our number one core value, that we take God at his word. And so no matter where we come from this morning, no matter what our story is behind us, we need to make sure the Bible goes before us and that we are going to think about this subject biblically. Jesus told the woman at the well, John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus talking to a woman at the well who was not yet a believer. He's like, and she was talking about their way of worshiping as Samaritans. And he's like, no, 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 here's the way that you worship. In spirit and in truth. Those are the two wings on the plane. If you only have one, you know what happens. It crashes or doesn't even get off the ground. If we want to be full of the spirit this morning, you need to understand this. We must be one who worships in spirit and truth. We need both wings on the plane. So back to our main passage this morning, Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Now when you hear that, when you hear the word filling, or when you hear uh, people being filled by the Spirit, uh, people often immediately think of, oh, the gifts of the Spirit, or oh, how they feel when, when they get filled by the Holy Spirit, or, 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 or the amazing power maybe they have in the Holy Spirit. But what I want to make clear this morning is this. The filling of the Holy Spirit, oh yes, it might be amazing. Oh yes, it may be awesome. Oh yes, he's going to gift you. Oh yes, he's going to empower you to do ministry. But I want you to know this. The filling of the Holy Spirit, the paramount thing that's going to happen and must happen is fruitfulness. The fruit of the Spirit. Oh, people want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit? They're the blue in the face. And sometimes it's the craziest, meanest, most unbiblical people that think they're so gifted. And what I want to tell you right now, we need to see the fruit. The fruit must precede the giftedness. And that's our main point this morning. The filling of the Spirit is more about being fruitful than gifted. It's more about being fruitful than gifted. It's more about who you are than what you can do. If you're going to be filled and fruitful, it's important that we approach this theologically and we approach this practically of what it means. So we're going to spend our time answering some questions. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Number two, what's it mean to be filled in the Spirit? And number three, what should your life look like when you're filled with the Spirit? So let's take a look at question number one. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, quite frankly, he is he's God. He is God. The Holy Spirit is of the three persons of the Trinity whose work is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, especially the church. Now, a word on the Trinity. Explaining the Trinity will always make you feel just like, I don't get it. And that's how amazing our God is, right? We have God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, yet one. Three persons, yet one God. You're like, I don't get it. I'm, isn't it amazing how big our God is, right? Our minds just go, right? You get the little spinning beach ball like on your Macs, all right? And your, your phone's going through a, just a doom loop. You can never get it going again, right? That's our minds when we think of how big our God is. He's infinite, and yet our minds are finite. Some of you may say, wait a minute. How do you expect us to trust Almighty God if we can't really explain fully the Trinity? I heard an author and Pastor Charles Stanley put it this way. He says, we frequently put our faith in things we don't understand. Every time I get on a jet, I place my life in the hands of people I've never met and at the mercy of machinery I don't understand. That's not to imply that nobody understands it. Simply because I don't have an explanation for how it works doesn't mean there isn't one. He continues, in the same way, just because the idea of the Trinity is confusing to us doesn't mean that it's not true. It only means that it doesn't make sense. Sense We serve three persons, one God. They are co-equal, co-eternal. They are all God, one God. And it blows our mind. You know, we do that every day, don't we? 
we get into things that we don't understand. Many of you, you got here to church today and it, you drove in your car and you know what happens when the car breaks down, right? Oh yeah, we all act like we're mechanics, right? When, when the car breaks down and, and, and on the side of the road, you lift up the hood and you're, if you're like me and I don't know a thing about it, I just go like this. Hmm. Like I, I, I now start praying because I realize God can heal cars, right? But I'm like, hmm. Hmm, right? I, I, I don't know why I even do that. I might as well just leave the hood down, right? But we want to pretend that we think we know what, what's going on, but we don't. And that doesn't prevent us from driving thousands of miles sometimes at a stretch in a vehicle we don't understand except put the key in and turn the wheel, right? There's a lot of things in our life that we don't understand and yet we take for granted. And I want you to understand the Holy Spirit uh, and the Trinity is just that way. We can trust our almighty God. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is all-present. He is our God. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, he empowered only certain people, not everybody. It was a more special experience. He would sometimes would empower kings or prophets, uh, sometimes specific people for specific purposes. In the indwelling of the Spirit, it was rare, and it could be removed. For instance, King David, when he, was, uh, when he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, when David fell into sin, uh, he committed adultery, and then he was confronted by a prophet, and then he wrote his response in Psalm 51. If you've never read Psalm 51, read it. It's an amazing repentance psalm. And in that psalm, David pleads with God to do not take the Holy Spirit from me. That was a real risk in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit can come upon a person and be removed upon a person. But there was going to be a difference. There was going to be a change. In the New Testament era, the Holy Spirit was going to come to permanently indwell his people. And this was prophesied by a later prophet in the Old Testament named Joel. We see this in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. After this, and by the way, uh, Acts quotes this passage and they quote after this as the last days. So after this meeting, the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. This was a huge prophecy for the people in the Old Testament era to hear. They're like, they understood the Holy Spirit would fall on very important people, but there was going to be a moment where the Holy Spirit was going to fall on everybody who was a follower of God. And they're like, everybody? Everybody. Men and women, yes. Old, young, yes. Poor and rich, yes. Everybody who's a follower of Jesus was going to have the Holy Spirit and access to be filled in him afresh. And this, I can imagine to the hearers of the prophet Joel, like, whoa, I can't wait to experience that day. The Spirit was going to come to empower everyone in the New Testament who is a follower of Jesus. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come to live in you and you have access right now to be filled in him. This prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out on the church, on the, on the new birth of the church. You see, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to go away, but it was better that he would go away so that the helper, the Holy Spirit, may come. Imagine that. It'd be great if Jesus was amongst us and we could see him today, right? But Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? There's something better I can give you. What? My spirit to actually live in you. You don't have to observe God. God's actually going to live in you. Like, I don't know about you, but being next to God would be amazing. But the next best thing is God actually living and empowering you. That's an amazing promise. And we saw that promise fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit let the fuse and boom, the church was born. And the Holy Spirit empowered this new movement called the church. In the last days, God would pour out his spirit. The last days began when the church was born. We are living in this era. We are to press forward the gospel of Jesus Christ until Jesus Christ comes back. But he did not leave us alone. He gave us the Holy Spirit to do work that in and ourselves we're incapable of doing. The 
Holy Spirit kicked it off. The Spirit that was long prophesied was poured out on the church. In the context, we will see that this uh, was poured out on every person that was in the upper room waiting. There was 120 of them. It wasn't a result of their good works. It wasn't a result of their talents or their last names. They were just available. Holy Spirit, will you come? And he came like a rushing wind. The Holy Spirit, he is God. We also see the Holy Spirit, he is a person. The Bible does not describe the Holy Spirit as some power or force that we tap into or some it, right? Sometimes like we call the Holy Spirit an it. That's actually theologically wrong. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is described as a he, but what happens is if we call the Holy Spirit an it or treat it like some impersonal force, uh, then it's nothing more than a thing like the force in Star Wars or a spell cast out in Harry Potter. We're not dealing with a thing or an energy source. We're dealing with God. And we do not seek a source for divine energy. We seek the Spirit of God who gives you supernatural empowerment. I fear too many people are, are seeking the Holy Spirit because they want just an experience. They want to experience the, the power. They want to experience the excitement of the giftedness. Or they want to see the excitement of maybe even feeling a little bit prominent. And none of those things are why we should experience the Holy Spirit. None of those things should be our end goal. Our end goal to be filled with the Spirit is to get God, period. Many people treat their experience with God so mystically, it's more new age and fortune teller than it is New Testament. But God speaks, if we are to be filled with the Spirit, we must seek God as the end goal. We don't seek anything but God, and whenever, uh, whenever we have an experience, no matter how joyful it is, it must always point to the person of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not an it, the Holy Spirit is a he. He's a person, he is God. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Spirit is a person that comes to be in communion with you. The Spirit is personal, who speaks to you, uh, helps you make decisions. The Spirit can be grieved. The Spirit can be lied to. He's a person who wants to be personal with you. He's a person. He is our helper. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is our helper. John 14, 16. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. The Holy Spirit, verse 16, is called a counselor. Another way to translate that is helper. In fact, elsewhere, Jesus tells his disciples that he will help them by the Spirit. The Spirit comes to help us with what we're otherwise incapable of doing. The Spirit will help us to assure us that we're his children. Did you know that? The Spirit contends with our spirit that we indeed are children of God if you place your faith and trust in Christ. He bears witness with our spirit. He illuminates our hearts that when we read scripture, it's not just any other book, but the Holy Spirit who moved 40 different authors to write a perfect, the perfect revelation of God. The, the author of scripture is the Holy Spirit. When he speaks to our spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, it illuminates and it brings it to powerful revelation to our hearts. Able to cut the marrow of our bones. Able to cut away the fat around our heart that is not of him. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. The Holy Spirit makes Scripture come alive. We can't grow without the Spirit of God. He is our helper. You see, the filling of the Spirit is more about being fruitful than it is about being gifted, but we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is. He is God. He is a person. He is our helper. Second question then this morning. What does it mean to be then filled with the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is God, it's not just some impersonal force, then how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's go back to Ephesians 5.18 again. And do not get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. When do you get the Spirit? Listen here real quickly, because this is where some of us can get mixed up here. You receive the Spirit... When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You receive the Spirit in two fashions that we see in Scripture. Uh, when you receive Christ as Savior, the Spirit comes to live in you. And this is going to be very clear. Scripture makes no nuance about this. It's very clear, very black and white. But we're told subsequently that we need to be filled and filled continually. 
So the disciples, when they walked with Jesus, they did not have the Holy Spirit walking with Jesus until the day of Pentecost. It was here they were baptized and they were filled with the Spirit and the, manifest, and the manifestation of the Spirit was very clear. We also see uh, the baptism of the Spirit in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19. This is where the, whole, the Holy Spirit fell on the Samaritans. Uh, he fell uh, also on the Gentiles and also John the Baptist's disciples. Uh, so in the narrative of the early church, each time the Spirit broke out on a new people group, it'd be in a dramatic fashion to show the unity of one Spirit. That the Holy Spirit just didn't fall on Jewish converts, but he fell on anyone and everyone who placed their faith in Christ alone. So these three accounts and acts show us the unique nature of when the Spirit arrives upon three new people groups receiving Jesus. Today, the Holy Spirit is initially given the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus. And the Bible is very clear with this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Notice the, prog the progression, in fact. Uh, let's go ahead and, and keep the, these, uh, let's go back to verse 13 and, and follow that, uh, let's follow it progressively. The first thing we see here is that you are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. A seal is a mark of ownership. Uh, maybe you, you see a seal that's on a letter. Uh, maybe there's a seal on a, docu on a document. Uh, in Iowa, growing up, I would see farmers seal their cattle. So if the cattle would get off uh, the ranch, per se, people will know uh, whose cattle that was, who was the owner of that cattle. What we see here is that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are sealed with God's ownership. You are sealed by him. In fact, in the book of Revelation, God places a seal on his people to identify them and to protect them from the wrath to come. So our seal before God right now, he knows that we are his, is the Holy Spirit that lives in you. So we're sealed. We get the Holy Spirit. You heard the word of truth, we see. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, when you believed... The Holy Spirit, therefore, is a down payment of our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit comes to live in you when you say yes to Jesus Christ as your Savior. It is his marking that you're his. It is your down payment until you get to heaven. And I think the most clearest and most crucial verse that every believer has the Holy Spirit is found in Romans 8 9. It says this, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're in big, big trouble, according to Romans 8, 9. When you believe in Jesus, you're forgiven by God, and you get the Holy Spirit as a down payment. But the big question is this. Why, if everybody has the Holy Spirit that places their faith and trust in Jesus to dwell in them, why is it, does it seem that some people are, are being used by the Spirit, or, or the, the Spirit's manifesting through their lives, that the Spirit, is, uh, that the Spirit is, is moving a person forward, and another person, it just seems dormant. Why is that? Why is that? And aha, this is the key question. This is the key part. Is that just because the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, we must be filled, according to Ephesians 5, filled with the Holy Spirit. So you're given the Holy Spirit once, but we are to be filled with him Multiple, multiple times. You are to be repeatedly filled with the Spirit throughout your life. Ephesians 5.15. Pay careful attention then how to walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, understanding what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. But here it is. Be filled by the Spirit. Now that word in the Greek, be filled, is in the present passive imperative. Passive meaning this. If something's passive in the original language, it means this. It's being done to you. There's nothing that you're doing uh, in, in yourself other than receiving. So being filled with the Spirit, when the Spirit comes to fill you up, that is an action he is doing and doing alone. But we see here it's a passive imperative. Imperative means it's a command. Who's the command for? It's for you and I, which means this. We must seek out and invite the Holy Spirit to fill us in our life. We must yield to him. We must, we must make sure that we're our life's not in alignment, that we align it so that the Holy Spirit can take control and that we can yield to his leading and to his ways in our life. So we see here present imperative, but also it's a continuous action. Uh, we see this in the original, is a continuous action. It's not a one-time occurrence. It is something that we are to seek 
day in and day out to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Now let's pause here for a second. Depending on what tradition you're from, uh, some people will call this the baptism of the Spirit, while others will call it the filling of the Spirit. Some of you might even be in a tradition where you're like, we need to yield to the Spirit or we come up with different words. Here's the deal. People have gone to war over word gymnastics. The bottom line is this, if we can agree with this, I know we have a room full of people that come from all different backgrounds, is we need to be full of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, we, we, we understand that people can say they have the Holy Spirit, but like it's dormant within you, am I right? And so I, I hear people use different words and different terminology. Uh, the terminology that I will use is being filled with the Holy Spirit. There are today people that are refusing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today I, what I want you to know is this, is the Holy Spirit can be dormant and we can never use him because we're so busy using our own talents or so busy using our, our own ways when we realize God wants us to be used as his vessel to show the naturally supernatural, the miraculous. We need to invite him. So let me just demonstrate it this way. This is something I used to do back in my youth pastor days. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and go for it because I think this is a great illustration. So I'm going to use this milk to demonstrate that we have two people that gave their life to Jesus. All right? So here is, or actually, let's do this. This cup right here is somebody that has, doesn't go to church, never given their life to Jesus. This is somebody who went to church, uh, has not given their life to Jesus. They hear the gospel. And uh, after hearing the gospel, they receive Jesus. They also receive the Holy Spirit, all right? So they have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to live in them. Now, what you'll notice here is that both of these cups look the same. Here's the non-believer. Here's the believer with the Holy Spirit. What the Bible is telling us is that you receive the Holy Spirit as a seal. God knows the Holy Spirit's in you. That's, that's a seal. He knows that he, you're his, Right? Uh, you, you're you're going to be redeemed. It's a down payment to the end, right? We good? Now, what happens is this. In Ephesians chapter 5 and elsewhere, we're told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of you might use different terminology. That's cool, but here's the deal. We all need to make sure we're doing the same thing. We need to seek out, Holy Spirit, will you come? Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come into my life, take over every area of my life, reveal to me sin. Uh, God, reveal to me where, where I, I am being hesitant in your ways. Make me fully obedient. God, help me not rely on my own strength. God, I'm asking you to empower me to do your naturally supernatural through me. Amen? Right? And what happens is this. When we invite the Holy Spirit in, you shake up the Holy Spirit. You get filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens is this is that it begins to permeate your whole being. And people begin to see the, 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 the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in your life. People begin to see a change. People begin to see the fruit of your life, right? To where there is a clear difference between somebody who doesn't know Jesus and somebody who knows Jesus and is being filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to wake up each morning and, and welcome the Holy Spirit to our life. And let me tell you this right now. God, the Holy Spirit doesn't need permission, right? Does he need permission? Does he need permission to do it? No, he doesn't. But he loves when his people are ready and willing and yielding, right? So let's get up. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit each morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in my heart. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this church. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. I'm asking you to fill me a full. I'm asking you to, to change me. I'm asking you to lead me. I'm asking you to do what I'm incapable of doing. I'm asking you to change my heart or I don't want to be obedient to you. Holy Spirit, fill me to overflow. Right? But the beautiful thing is this. Some of you can remember when the Holy Spirit filled you and it was dynamic, it was amazing. Some of you, it was more of a whisper. And this is what I want to tell you. Is that it's a beautiful thing when you, you've met the Spirit of God. But it's a thing that's not just to be a relic of a, something you put on your shelf and say that was a moment in life. This are, these are to be moments in life. We see this. That this is to be repeated, fillings are to be repeated over and over and over again because the disciples who were given the Spirit on Pentecost were filled again two chapters later in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4 verse 31, when they, this is the church that, that received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, when they had prayed, so this is two chapters later, when they had prayed, they placed where they were assembling was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, again, and they began speaking the word of God boldly. This is what happens. 
is oftentimes we go into prayer and they're canned, right? Lord, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, what did you just pray? I don't know. It's like driving, you know? And you're like, how did I get here, right? Sometimes we're praying like, I said amen. What did I just say, right? Like sometimes we, we just go through mindless prayer. Or sometimes we're praying and we don't think God could actually do it. Or sometimes we're praying and we're thinking about everything else we want to be doing, but we're not doing because we're praying. And God's saying, pause for a moment. You're going before the Lord God Almighty, before the throne of God, right? Who can do anything, right? Uh, who can heal the broken heart. Who can provide you wisdom where you feel like you're so, such in darkness. When we go before the Lord God Almighty with expectation, let me tell you this right now. We do not come with the power. We go to the one with the power. And if he does what we want him to do, then great. But if he doesn't do what we want him to do, that means he has something better or his will is greater than we can understand. And what I want you to know is this, is what we should expect when we go before the Lord God Almighty, that when we pray, he can even make the ground shake, right? He can make our, the, the ground shake in our life, in this place. He shakes things up. The church had a prayer meeting in response to the persecution they were facing. And when they were praying, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? It wasn't so that the ground would shake, right? It's like, oh, I hope tonight we pray so much we have the experience of the ground shaking. No, the ground shook because God wanted the church to know that you think in the flesh you're going to die for your faith. You think in the flesh there's no way the church can go forward. But I'm shaking the ground to show you that the Lord God Almighty is stronger than the greatest threats of persecution. I'm shaking the ground to remind you that God can do way beyond what you think he's capable of doing. He shook the ground and he filled the disciples with boldness. And that's the key. Without the Holy Spirit, we will not be bold in this society. We will not be bold with our faith. We will not be bold against sin we want to be bold in making sure that we are growing in the things of God you want to be bold for the faith oh we must be filled with the Holy Spirit because in our talents we will give up in our talents we will grow tired in our talents we'll just call it in we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit amen the filling of the Spirit is more about being fruitful than it is about gifted and so fillings happen constantly through your life you need to shake it up. So, question number three, how should a life look like after the filling of the Spirit? What should it look like? It should look like a life that is building up his church. You see, there's a myth. There's a myth out there that says spiritual gifts are a measure of spiritual maturity. Right? It's not. It's a myth, right? In fact, what happens is, is when we think that, oh, this is how the Holy Spirit used me, Right? Or, oh, this is how I'm gifted, or, oh, this is what I can do. When we begin to buy into our own prophetic press, when we begin to buy into our own spiritual gifting, what happens is we begin to live in a life of two-tiered Christianity, right? Uh, where we have the Christians and then the super-Christians, right? And listen, God doesn't see a two-tiered Christianity. What he sees is, are people available to be used by him in the ways that he wants to use them? Does that make sense? We don't live a two-tiered Christianity. If someone's going around saying they're super spiritual and have a red line to the Lord in heaven, I want you to know, and I want you to let them down softly, that you have the same red line too. It's called prayer. It's called that he is loving and graceful and merciful. And then I'm going to tell you, I heard this, I'm going to borrow this, I heard this at Citigroup, but if he can make a donkey speak, listen, he can use you too, right? Two-tiered Christianity. This was happening in a church in the New Testament called the Church of Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a church with a reputation of being super spiritual. They were authentic. They were real. In the Roman Empire, oh man, did you see the latest podcast from the pastor from Corinth? It's amazing, right? Did you see what he? Did you see the robe he was wearing? It's amazing, right? Man, I can't wait to go to Corinth. I got to travel to Corinth and I got to just touch that anointing a little bit because it's just so anointed there, right? You, you see that. We see that sometimes in our own society, right? Like, oh man, if I could just go to this city and go in, into that room right there and pray with those people that I watch on YouTube, then, then my life will be touched. Listen, the same God that is in every city in America is right here right now. And you have bold access to the king. But yet in Corinth, they bought into their own press they had this reputation that they were absolutely amazing. But the problem is, the church was a mess. In sin, 
They're trying to outdo each other in spiritual giftedness. Here's the problem. When you live a two-tiered Christianity and you believe that your uh, maturity is based on your giftedness, what's going to happen is you're going to become very spiritually insecure. You're going to always want to try to outdo yourself and outdo other people to prove yourself to God how mature you are. God's like, you don't need to do that. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. You're not doing that. I'm doing that through you. Oh, he thinks he's doing it through himself. Okay, all right, great, right? And this is what was happening in Corinth. People were outdoing each other. They were trying to out-prophesy each other. They are trying to out-tongue each other with tongues, right? I can talk the tongues of, of the Cretans. So I can talk the tongues of, of uh, human language that hasn't even been invented yet. And then somebody else said, literally, well, I can talk the tongues of angels, right? They were out trying to outdo each other. And it wasn't to try to make much of God. It was trying to make much of themselves or even their church name. And God was having none of this. So Paul went to correct them. You can see the correction letter. It's called 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, this is what Paul said about spiritual gifts. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. Now, what's interesting, that word spiritual gifts in the original language in Greek, it's anumakatos. It's the origin, of the, the origin of that word means from the spirit. So you can translate this. Now, concerning Gifts from the Spirit, right? Not gifts from you, gifts from the Spirit, which means, which is really important here, we can miss this. Gifts do not originate from you, which means you can't take pride on them, which means that you're not super spiritual, right? They're from the Spirit. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse uh, 4. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same works, all of them, in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Let's break this down. What he's saying in this is in verse 4, gifts is actually using a different Greek word this time. It's called charismata. It's where we get charismatic. It means grace gift. So when you take uh, verse 1 and verse 4 together, uh, this one word says it's from the Spirit. This other one says it's from grace, meaning that the gifts that you receive have nothing to do with you. No merit, no nothing. It is from God, by His grace, by His choosing. Those gifts are also called in verse 5, ministries, which means the gifts aren't for you. Can you imagine Christmas morning, all the gifts, and all the gifts that you opened up are gifts you bought at the store yourself and you wrapped them up. You didn't give gifts to anybody else. How pathetic would that be, right? The gifts are called ministries to minister to others, to build up the church. Verse 6, we see the gifts are called activities. Uh, this original word is, is where it's called energerma, uh, which is where we get energy. It means it's not human power. It's from the Spirit, given by His grace, for the building up of this church, and it's empowered not by your strength or talent, it's empowered by God's power alone. You cannot take credit that you're above someone else or that you have some other gifting that somebody else has. God gifts whom He chooses to gift so that we're the arms, the feet, but we're a whole body functioning to build up His church, to move the gospel forward, to make much of Jesus. Amen? Spiritual gifts are not some measure of spiritual maturity. Another myth that we see here, gifts are for self-edification, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. We see that word manifestation. These gifts are uh, the Spirit visibly being used through you. These gift is not theoretical. It actually happens. And he seeks people that are eagerly seeking out uh, the gifts, but here's the deal, it is for the common good. It is for the building up of the church. Unfortunately, when people go into business for themselves and they want to, uh, they get all about the giftedness in themselves, when they seek out the spirit for their giftedness or, their, or for the experience that they could have in the Holy Spirit, it actually causes disunity in the church and not unity. The spirit is about unity, and oftentimes people are like, oh, don't talk about the Holy Spirit, it's going to disunify things. Listen, no, the Holy Spirit will unify it's human beings uh, that want the, the wares of the Spirit, that want the, the uh, energy or want the power or want the gifts of the Spirit, but not God. They're the ones dividing the things up. And so the Spirit must unify, and it's for the common good to build up the church. What does a life look like that's empowered by the Spirit? Well, he gives the power of produce. He gives the power 
of produce, to produce, excuse me. He has the power to produce. Let's take a look at this at Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Not, let us not become conceited and provoking one another, envying one another. Billy Graham said this. This is good news. We are no longer waiting for the Holy Spirit. He's waiting for us. We're no longer living in a time of promise, but in the days of fulfillment. You see, the thing is this. We need to be full of the Spirit so that we can be fruitful, so that it can be sustaining in our life. Again, one of the biggest turns off for the activities of the Holy Spirit is when people think they're so gifted, they have words for people but not for themselves, they have that red line to God. But listen, here's the deal. If you don't have fruit, your gifts are moot. If you don't have fruit, your gifts are moot. The problem is people don't have the fruit. They will, they will descend their relationships into chaos. And the opposite of the spirit will happen. You see, the spirit unites the church around the truth of the gospel. But the person without the fruit of the spirit makes their gifting moot. They will lift themselves up above others. And the filling of the Holy Spirit that results in the fullness will, will never go into business for itself. But rather, when you are wanting the fullness of the Spirit to go in the business for yourself, you're not going to be full of the Spirit. You're going to be full of yourself. And so when we go before God today, it takes humility. Humility in this. Let's define it. God, without you, I'm nothing. God, without you, I can do habits. I can, I can do a New Year's resolution and I might make it a few weeks. We don't want behavior modification. We don't want to just make it a few weeks and feel good about ourselves. We want to live a life that is constantly growing in the things of God. But we will find ourselves stuck in a rut. I'm going to tell you this right now. You know it when you've been stuck in a rut. Maybe it's been years upon years. Do not blame anybody else. In this moment, say, Lord God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in my life. Show me the Spirit by showing me the fruit. If you don't have the fruit, then you won't have the fruit if you refuse to be filled by him. So, how are you to be filled by the Spirit? Let's talk about this. And we're going to give you an opportunity. I know we're going to have a couple up here that can pray with you this morning. How to be filled with the Spirit. Number one is place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, everything I said today is moot if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Have you personally placed your faith and trust in him alone? If you have not, that's step number one. You need to ask Jesus Christ to personally come into your life. You've sinned. You've been separated from Almighty God. There's no amount of work that you can do to get to God. You need Jesus Christ right now. Cry out to him this morning. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I need to place my faith and trust in you alone. It's acknowledging that he is the one and only Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he is the perfect sinless sacrifice to stand in your place. And as a result, death couldn't keep him. He rose from the dead, and he's coming back for you. Receive him as Savior. That's step one. Secondly, how to be filled with the Spirit is seek out the Spirit. What do I mean by this? Specifically, confess any known sin. Get into his word. Spend time with him. Surrender all your areas. Prepare your life to be full. You could say, God, I want your fullness, but have no intention of living out in that fullness. Prepare your life now to seek the fullness of the Spirit. Next is be available. Ask God a daily habit. Holy Spirit, will you fill me? Holy Spirit, I'm waiting on you. Will you fill me? Will you fill my mind? Will you fill my mind, uh, my heart, my emotions, my life? And then finally, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just ask. Remember, it's not about merit. It's not about how good you are. It's not about, just ask. The Spirit of God wants to fill you, to stir himself up in you to an overflow. Let me just ask you this question. Because all this is a tra tragedy if we just keep the Holy Spirit as theory. But when do you get, what, what happens 
What does it take to get yourself to look in the mirror and say, I'm tired of doing this in my own strength. I'm tired of doing this in my own talent. I'm tired of the things that have been dogging me for years that I'm trying to provide the solution. And it's when you really have that moment, you're really ready to surrender your entire life to the fullness and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, will you come in every single person's life in this room? Will you fill our life to the fullness? Will you prepare us to be people that live life in the Spirit, that we walk in the Spirit, as Galatians says, that we be fruitful in the Spirit, that as a result, God, that you would move through us in exciting ways in the Spirit, that you would give this church in the Spirit, that you'd build this church up in the Spirit, that we'd reach this city in the Spirit, that we'd see people long for God that gives their life to you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You don't need our welcome. You're here already, but let our hearts yield to your presence. Let our hearts yield to who you are. And God, I pray that this church and this city wouldn't be the same because you have people here ready to be filled and used by you. Father, I pray for anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you as Savior. I pray right now they would get right with you. In fact, as we pray, if there's anybody in this room right now, if you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus, this is your moment. The Bible says, today is the day of your salvation. And so if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, just cry out to him right now. Admit that you've sinned. Admit you've done wrong. Place your full faith and trust in Jesus alone as your savior from your sins. Trust that when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he paid your sin debt in full, trusting that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that he's coming back. Place your faith and trust in him right now. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead. You'll be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Place your life with him right now. Place your faith and trust in him alone. If that's you, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if today you're like, I want to make Jesus Christ my savior, will you just slip up your hand? I just want to see what God's doing in this room right now. Every head's bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, raise your hand up high and right now and say, that's me. I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus today. That's me. Awesome. Anybody else? Great. Great. I see you. Great. Anybody else? Lord Jesus, I pray for those right now that are making the decision to follow you, to be followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you've raised your hand today, let me just help you connect with the Lord. Just pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've done wrong. I've sinned. I need you as Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross, for saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Help me follow you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the prayer doesn't save you. You're just connecting with God, the one who did save you, Jesus Christ. And I think it's amazing that people in this room today, you've gotten right with Jesus. But we're not done yet. We're going to worship and we're going to praise Jesus. I want this to be a time where you cry out to God and say, Lord Jesus, will you fill me? Lord Jesus, I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to fill me. There's a lot of initiatives we're talking about this year as a church. We talk about you reaching that one or two or three throughout this year. Uh, there's a number of other things. Listen, it will fall flat if we're going to try to do it in our own strength. Holy Spirit, will you fill us? Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.